Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. If I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. Stephen Arthurs, Orlando, Florida. Entomologist, BioBee USA. Beneficial insects, bugs in agriculture. Sounds like a lot, but it's pretty cool. We talk it all right now. You've got like 55 plus published articles in industry magazines and beyond all about entomology and beneficial insects and such. Where did your fascination with bugs and insects come from? Oh my, where to start? I've always loved bugs. I, I think I got my interest from my father, actually. He was, a, he was an avid butterfly collector. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so he would take me out on the weekend out to the local um, you know, natural nature reserves, and, and we'd look around and hunt for bugs, and he'd always say I was very helpful because I was much closer to the ground back then when I was just a a kid, so... <laughs> sure. I think to most of us, it's just got this romantic idea, if that's the right word for it, of collecting butterflies, raising butterflies, going out and catching butterflies. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I grew up in the UK, so I forgot to mention, but yeah, my mom definitely wouldn't use that word, uh, romantic, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure most but, moms wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. My dad was, uh, he was an engineer, but he, he always loved going out and, and collecting butterflies and rearing them in the house. It drove my mother crazy, of course. He was pretty stubborn, so he would do it anyway. I think, yeah, what you get exposed to as a kid just often can stay with you, you know. And So for me, having caterpillars at the dining table was just normal. I couldn't believe anyone wouldn't do that. Not to eat their mind, to, to you know, clean them out and feed them. So, yeah, I think I got my interest quite early, and then I, I did actually go on to study entomology um, at university, and I kind of specialized uh, in biological control. It's such a fascinating area. There's, there's so, so much uh, to learn and so much to observe as a student. Well, entomology, I learned just today. I didn't know. Entomology is a, is a branch of zoology? Uh, well, yeah, it's a branch of zoology. Yeah, zoology is the study of uh, all animals, and entomology okay. would be the subset of, okay. of uh, insects, which is the class is, is uh, is classified as a class of insects. That's the group to which they belong. But um, but I think many people that are involved in entomology kind of get grouped in with people that study spiders and right. various other critters that are not technically insects, but they kind of get lumped together. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, that's I could see that. I could totally see that because my head would. I think that's where those of us that don't know our heads immediately go when you talk mm -hmm. insects, bugs, anything else. It's always to things like. Spiders. I don't know. It's just where we go. Beneficial insects, I think, b before my understanding of agriculture and what goes on in agriculture, with the exception of maybe the honeybee or a ladybug, I wouldn't have stopped mm -hmm. to think that any were beneficial. Bugs are bugs, and obviously we have to get rid of them all. And that's not the case at all. No, no, definitely not. Most insects are either innocuous or, or beneficial. Um, it's very interesting. If you look at the major crop pests that we're, de that we're dealing with now, um, it's really a very tiny subset of all of the known insects. It's, it's just those few that have 
for whatever reason, managed to figure out a way or benefited from the way we practice agriculture. And, you know, we spread them around through trade and plants and we we grow crops that they like and we, we, we develop plants that have great yield characteristics but aren't necessarily resistant to pests. Um, and so we very much kind of favor those ones that can take advantage of it. And so most entomologists tend to study those relative subset that are of an economic concern. And so there's an awful lot that we don't know about the less frequently observed bugs that are out there in nature. It's definitely a a fascinating area to study. So beneficial insects. Did you know that in the average backyard, there are thousands of insects and you may be surprised to learn that about 10% are actually destructive. But if that's the case in your backyard, imagine this in a field, a crop field somewhere. Holy cow. The remaining 90% of the insects are either beneficial or harmless, but I didn't know beneficial insects fall into three categories. There are pollinators, and everybody loves those. Those are bees and butterflies and flies and moths and anything that pollinates your garden or your plants. That's pretty cool. Predators, these insects eliminate pests by eating them. Those are good bugs to know. And then there's the parasitizers that are like predators, but uh, they prey upon other insects basically by laying their eggs in them or on them. And when the eggs hatch, yep, they eat them. I've seen that movie. Well, you mentioned ladybugs. Of course, they're very iconic. Right. Um, And most of us are familiar with spiders. Of course, we might not like spiders, but they actually do a great job in uh, keeping down the level of other bugs that we probably like even less. But what's interesting is is, is in the past, uh, well, really for the past 100 years or so, but especially in the past couple of decades, there's been a, a, an increased awareness that, that many of the, the beneficial insects that are out there can actually be used. Um, they can be harvested and reared and, and actually used to control pests in the field. Um, and so that's sort of the area that I'm involved with, um, which is, basically trying to find more what we might call natural solutions. Perhaps we can use some of these good guys as, as a way to control pests. There has been a, a change in the industry. Many pesticides now are actually a lot safer, and so they can actually work in concert more with the, with the native beneficial insects. So we are seeing, a, I think we are seeing an evolution in agriculture that's finally beginning to recognize that we want to work with nature as much as possible, not against it, and really try to be more specific in targeting only those pests that are actually going to cause us a problem and leaving a lot of the rest of them alone because they can be pollinators, they can be involved in food webs, and they can you know, be decomposers, and they can also, of course, control pests naturally if we let them. So I think it's, a, it, it's good to have more understanding about biodiversity and agriculture and, and how we can use it to our advantage. You mentioned something that's on my notes. It's actually way down my list, but we'll go at it right now, and that is the growing coexistence between crop protection products that have been used traditionally and beneficial insects and that integration between the two? Yeah, this is something I come across a lot. It's, it's a really important point, um, I think, when we're looking at how to change the way we, we do pest management in agriculture. In some cases, not all, but in some cases, we have to use multiple um, approaches because we're not dealing with one pest. We're dealing with these pest complexes. You may have half a dozen or a dozen different types of insects that are causing damage in, in a particular crop at different times of the year. It, there's a lot we need to understand about how these different things interact. And this is a quickly growing side of the industry. Yeah, I think, I think right now there's probably, in North America, there's somewhere between 50 and 60 different species of 
beneficial insects. Um, that would include mites and nematodes as well that are commercially reared and sold in, into agriculture for, for pest control. So, yeah, it's definitely a growing industry. It's growing more rapidly than the, than the agrochemical side of the industry, which is the more traditional pesticides. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Are you looking for a broad-spectrum botanical insecticide that controls key insect pests on outdoor food crops? Well, look no more. Aza Direct Botanical Insecticide. Proven effective in university tests as an insect growth regulator, repellent, and anti-feedant listed by OMRI for use in organic production. Accredited by the USDA NOP, it meets new organic guidelines, fully compatible for use in an IPM program, and can be applied up to the day of harvest. Tank makes flexibility compatible with many common use pesticides so what about that broad spectrum botanical insecticide you're looking for look no more Aza direct botanical insecticide always read and follow label directions from gowan company open field radio like share subscribe i want to hear from you yep and not just an email though emails are cool and of course this will involve an email too but it'll be a cool email because here's what i need you to do grab your phone find the voice app you know the little memo app in your phone that nobody uses for much of anything we're gonna use it i want you to give me your name where you're from what you do and that you listen to open field radio so it would go like this i'm mark yuma arizona host of open field radio and i listen to open field radio got it just Fill in the blanks with your information. Shoot it off to me in an email, info at openfieldradio.com. I just might use it on the air. And if I do, I'll send you something cool. How's that? Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. So your role in the beneficial insect industry, is that a fair term, is is the development of those insects? Yes. So I work for a company, BioBee. And they pioneered the development of the rearing of a lot of these beneficial insects and mites, um, along with several other companies. And my job is to really find places where we can, we can use them in agriculture. And sometimes that's pretty well established. An example might be in strawberries. Okay, so for, for many years, we've known that one of the major pests in strawberries, which is a little mite called a spider mite, which can be very hard to control, um, you can actually release another type of mite which feeds on it, a predatory mite. And as long as you do it at the right time and you don't spray anything that's going to kill the good guys, they can establish and they can actually prevent the need for you to have to spray any miticides in the strawberry crop because they will keep those pests at a, at a low population. Is this in an existing, if you will, traditional ag product marketplace, is this a difficult concept, if you will, to market and to, to establish? Meaning the, the products are already out there. Is bringing this alongside it, is this a difficult task? So you've got certain areas where it has been done for quite a few years and, and we know how to do it and we know it works and, the, and the, the growers tend to know it works and they're happy to do it. But then you've got um, other commodities or other pests where we don't really know. <laughs> We're sort of learning um, and trying to figure out, okay, well, can we tackle this new invasive species biologically instead of chemically? And if so, how do we do it and what will work? And, and what I see, Mark, is that sometimes there's, there's a reluctance amongst growers to try something new if they don't think it will work, which is understandable. Sure. They're risk, they can be risk-averse. But I think one of the things that drives that change or, or, you know, that drives people to try new things is when they've got a problem they can't solve. So 
So those problems are often what drives changes in the industry. I think often we're often we're responding to to particular problems that are that are obviously out there in, in agriculture. Well, and resistance is an ongoing problem with any product out there. Yeah, a- absolutely, and that's another reason why you know some of the bugs that we see that tend to become global pests do that is because they are able to not only move around, but they're able to find ways to develop resistance to a lot of the current pest control programs that are being put on them. And there's a gradual selection pressure, and sometimes that can become dominant. And uh, yeah, we see that a lot. Often it's just a case of stopping doing what you're doing that's not working and, and trying something new, and, and often that will, that will solve the problem. So a little background to Stephen. Stephen works for a company called BioBee. The company is out of Israel but has subsidiaries around the world, including the United States. He's buried somewhere in the heart of Florida. So BioBee, both in the U.S. and internationally, specialize in biological-based integrated pest management programs, along with natural pollinization and medfly control, and one one of BioB's main strengths is extensive knowledge and experience in field service personnel. That would be like Stephen that support the implementation process to their customers that are, of course, ordering bugs. You're part of BioB here in the U.S., correct? Yes, yes. So in the case of BioB, they really you know, did a great job and expanded very rapidly in, in Israel. And there was such a demand in other parts of the world for, for some of these approaches that um, they set up subsidiaries in other countries. So we have one in, uh, in Chile and Colombia and South Africa and Mexico and Canada and, and the U.S. now, of course. Many of the other companies that are involved in this industry have done the same thing, and you've seen this quite rapid adoption. And so associated with that, you've got more plants that are producing the bugs and, and more people that are out, boots on the ground, you know, walking around crops and trying to figure out like I am, you know, what we can do and, and where we can use our, our beneficial bugs. And uh, so it's it's a very rapidly changing, evolving industry. It's very interesting. It's, of course, not without its challenges, but yeah, I'm very happy to be part of it. Well, you mentioned out in the field. Do you spend a lot of time out in the field yourself? A fair amount. I, that, that's one of the ways our company works is, is we try to offer technical support as well as just providing bugs. And, and so a big part of that is understanding uh, the needs of the growers, understanding what the problems are. So as far as possible, uh, we do go out and spend some time walking the crop and looking at what's there and, and trying to understand how that might change and, and seeing if what we're doing is working. You know, if it's working or if it's not, how can we change it? And sometimes that's easy and, and sometimes that can be a challenge. But, but yeah, I spend a fair amount of time out in the crop. It's got to be a great place to be, as opposed to the office, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, this time of year, it's nice. I'm in Florida. It gets pretty brutal in July and August. Sometimes I'd rather be in an air-conditioned office. (laughs) (laughs) I found you through a mutual friend, Chandler Bennett with Parabug, who has been on the show and is on the other side of this in the sense of the delivery systems or the new delivery systems, if you will, of beneficial insects to the crop via drones and all kinds of things that they're working on. What do you see in that, in the evolution of those delivery systems? How was it done and how is it being done and where's that going? That's an interesting one. And and yeah, you mentioned Chandler and his company Parabug. They I think they're one of, if not the, the, the pioneers in this area. And they've really opened up I think buyer control to a wider audience through some very clever technology. And um, I'm lucky to, to be able to work with them in Florida. Uh, they have pilots in different parts of the country that will apply beneficial insects out in, in, in the open field. And um, 
one of the one of the challenges or what, that that's overcome is is the problem with labor. You know that we have these difficulties with with labor in agriculture, and sometimes it can be very time consuming to go out and walk over large acreages and and, and apply beneficial insects. And um, the ability to use a drone that's remote can be controlled remotely and can fly over the top at quite a fast speed and, and release them has really dramatically decreased the cost of application and, and opened up areas I think that wouldn't have otherwise been open. So I really take my hat off to Chandler for, for what he's done and, and his team. Uh, I think it's a really, really great uh, advance for the industry. I would not be doing my job if I did not direct you to the Parabug episode. With Chandler Bennett, it's a great episode. Parabug delivering beneficial insects to crops via drones. Very cool episode. Season 1, episode 10. You can find it anywhere Open Field Radio is found. Check it out for yourself. Chandler gives great insight to not only the technology of what they're doing, but their place in this great big spectrum of beneficial insects. Pretty cool episode. Take me through it then before the Chandler Bennett's of the world, how are these bugs distributed <laughs> on a crop? Well, mainly by hand. Literally walking the field, huh? Pretty much, yes. I mean, um, pretty, pretty much walking the field by hand, directly from bottles or bags. There are some tools that are used. So, for example, uh, a lot of growers will, will get a little uh, handheld blower, the sort of thing that you might use for, for, for blowing up your leaves okay. in the fall around your house. Sure. And you, you can adapt that um, like a like a dust blower. You can adapt that huh. so that instead of just blowing air, you 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 add your your beneficial bugs to a bottle that's uh, attached to the blower, and you can you can apply them that way to get them out a little more quickly. Um, but still, not not as quick as you can do it by by air. But uh, yeah, growers are very uh, resourceful and and find ways to to do it. But definitely the the drone application has been a real success for the industry, I think. Are the uh, traditional aerial applicators, the crop duster kind of guys, are they doing it at all? I could perhaps see that that going in that direction. Right now, most of that side of things, uh, uh, the the crop duster side of things, is is designed really to apply liquids or, or sometimes dust. It's a different technology, different approach. It will be interesting to see whether they start adapting, you know, and, and applying more beneficial bugs. At this point, I don't think they're quite doing that, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens in the future. Well, you said everybody's, you know, the industry's resourceful in that way, and I would think that they would go, hey, wait a minute, we can't let the drone guys have all the fun. We'll get out there and figure out some way to do it if it's if it's feasible, if there's some way to make it happen. I agree. <laughs> when I first called you today, I said, how's your day? And you said, I'm working on issues, getting bugs delivered and so forth, which got me thinking. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm thinking... If if I call you up and I say, hey, Stephen, I need some bugs, what do you do? You put them in the mail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> I, I don't personally. We have a really good sure. team of people that sure. really kudos to Haral in the warehouse. We're dealing with a very perishable product um, with because these organisms are alive and many of them don't live very long. And um, so there, there has to be a chain getting them from the rearing facilities into the field as quickly as possible. And uh, certainly with, with, with COVID and with, with, with some of the disruptions to international trade that that's produced, you know, it can cause some, some hiccups along the way. But, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a very good chain where these things get packed up and they get put in insulated boxes and they get shipped overnight to 
distribution centers and then they get packed up and, and sent out to all of the various customers all over the country. And then we always tell them, hey, you know, when when you get them, check that they're alive and check that they're healthy and, and try to put them out, you know, that day or the next day. And But don't hang on to them for too long because they, uh, like I say, they're very perishable and no one uh, wants to pay for a, for a lot of dead bugs. So. <laughs> no, that's, that's, <laughs> on one side of the line. On the other side of the line, I was probably fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you used a very eloquent word of a rearing facility. That would be a bug farm, yes? Yes, yes. I guess you could yeah. call it that, bug farm. <laughs> what, is, do you guys do that uh, in Florida there, or where does that all take place? So right now, most, I think perhaps 70, 70%, the last statistic I heard of, of the um, beneficials that are reared, for for agriculture, that I'm talking about the the, the, the insects and the mites now uh-huh. um, are actually produced overseas. Oh, okay. So most of them most of them get get shipped in. There is some production um, on the west coast, but there's there's very little uh, production on the on the east coast right now. I think the industry is probably looking at that right now as a way to shorten those those supply chains. But yeah, for the most part, you know, these things have worked out pretty well. And and most of the time things arrive on time and and, and, and healthy and happy. Overnight bug delivery. That's pretty cool. Just a quick shout out to some places that we know they're listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Emory, South Dakota, Newark, New Jersey, Redwood City, California, and Hanoi, Vietnam. Wow. Thanks for listening. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you. You know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard. You mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting open field radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody. Knock on somebody's door. Call them up. Send them a text, whatever. And tell them you're listening to open field radio. And by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Hi, my name is Nina Wilson, and I listen to Open Field from the lowest capital of the world, Yuma, Arizona. What's the shortest lifespan of some of these beneficial insects? I would say a lot of them, if they don't find something to eat, they maybe survive for, you know, a few days. Right. Um, And then in cases where you put them in an area where they have pests, um, then they can survive longer and, and in some cases they'll even reproduce and you'll get subsequent generations developing and so it really depends on the situation some crops you don't want bugs you, you, you just want to keep them clean you right. put these beneficials out routinely not just one time you put them out every week or every two weeks or, or maybe every three weeks depending on the situation okay and they they just clear up those isolated pest populations that you have and, and in combination with your pesticide program, which is a nice selective pesticide program, Correct. and you're good to go. It's just part of your program. In some cases in the field, you know, it works a little differently. In the, in the strawberries, what we've learned is that we can put out the beneficial mites relatively early in the season, and they will actually establish, and they'll stay there for the whole growing season, which might be three or, three or four months. As long as you get them out at the right time and, and, and you don't spray anything that's going to kill them, you can get away with just one application, and they will, they will keep the crop clean. It's definitely a, 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 an industry, Mark, that there's not one size fits all sort of approach. Every customer is a different story, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's to find out what someone needs and, and, and what they want to do and, and how you can find a way to get what they need in a way that's going to work for them and a price that's going to work for them. And if you can do that, you know, you can be very good. And sometimes we can, and sometimes there's challenges to overcome. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, everyone, <laughs> you know... <laughs> 
every every customer's got their own story, and, and there's no two situations that are identical. So it, that, that's what makes it fun and interesting. You know, every day is okay. Well, what's gonna what, what's gonna work in this situation? Well, and you mentioned pricing. Is the pricing uh, competitive with traditional crop protection services and those kinds of things? Well, it has to be competitive, or else no one would do it. And, and price, definitely, right now, price is is a limitation on the industry going further because you know the margins are not there for all crops. But mm-hmm. then in high value crops, like we're seeing things like um, cannabis, for example, is a very high value crop that's sure. being now cultivated commercially, and uh, there's the margins there for sure to use some of these some of these bugs, and and a lot of them are being used in this situation. So I think as price perhaps will trend down, you know, like with the economies of scale, as production goes up and adoption goes up, the, the price can creep down and, and gradually you can increase the envelope of potential customers. Um, it's a process, you know, for sure. We're really lucky, actually. The, 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 the pesticide industry has been very responsive, I believe, in producing some really excellent products now that, that work very well and are actually pretty safe to many of the beneficials. So you can actually potentially use them both. And that wasn't the case, you know, even, even 10 years ago, a lot of the materials that we, that we rely on now weren't available. So, and I see that trend continuing. Uh, I believe Gowan uh, is one example of a company that's really producing a lot of products that are compatible with beneficial insects. And so to, to my mind, that's the holy grail is, is, to, is to find, you know, a, a several tactics that, that can work together because like I say, often we're dealing with multiple pests and, and, uh, it's very rare that one single thing will solve all your problems. So it's kind of a team effort then at that point, uh, as I've heard it referred to before as you know tools in the toolbox kind of idea. So I have this, I have this, and I have this. Either all things together or whatever tool you need at the moment to solve your problem. That's a cool thing. Absolutely. What's your favorite thing about entomology? Well, when I was a kid, I used to rear a lot of different bugs, and I, I was always fascinated by how they change and how they, they undergo metamorphosis. I thought that was very interesting. How mm-hmm. did they figure out how to do that? <laughs> so I, I think at heart, you know, I'm probably, uh, I just love being out in nature and, and, and watching bugs eat each other. As of course, they, they, they do a lot of the time. And if I can learn something new, you know, oh, I didn't know that this bug ate that bug or something like that. It can stimulate some ideas. So that's been great. And it's also been really nice to be able to work with various researchers at universities that that work on biocontrol and they, they've often got great ideas and sometimes we can put our heads together and, and try to solve a problem because there are problems. You know, we have some of these new invasive insects that are coming in and very hard to control. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to try to come up with potential solutions and then try them out in the next field season to see, okay, you know, will this be a successful approach? And if it is, well, that, that's, that's, that's the payoff right there. Can you shed some light? You mentioned it, invasive insects. Can you shed some light on the uh, the top 10 list kind of idea of invasive insects right now that are causing the country problems? In my neck of the woods, down here in Florida, this is sort of ground zero for invasive insects. There's just so many plants being shipped around. So I think we have, on average, one new invasive insect establishing every single month. Um, in fact, it might be wow. two, up to two now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So there's always something. I mean, I, I deal a lot with, um, there's a, a very small insect called a thrips, which is mm-hmm. entomologists would have, would have heard of them. A number of those have come in from, from often from, from Southern Asian countries. And 
What we often see with some of these new bugs when they show up is that they don't really have a, an assortment of natural enemies that feed on them. And so sometimes they, they use that to their advantage and can develop quite high populations in the first few years when they arrive. That's often when the biggest challenge is and they, they become invasive and no one really knows what to spray because it hasn't really necessarily been tested or the pesticides may not be registered for that, for that pest on that crop. There's a number. There's uh, some white flies as well. They can become quite problematic, and some of them can be tolerant for certain pesticides. You know, we have land snails, very large land snails down here that can become problems. And Wow. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a big range, Mark. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. This is Chandler Bennett, Parabug, Salinas, California. Pilot the Bombardier, all bugs out, bombs away. Season 1, Episode 10, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, entomologist and beneficial insect specialist, Stephen Arthurs. Along with the beneficial insects that we've been talking about, we also have the pollinators. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. So, so BioBee actually does produce um, bumblebees. And uh, bumblebees are very popular pollinators because they have very small hives and you can rear them and move them around. And currently the bumblebees we have are, are, are not for the use in the United States, but other companies uh, rear these pollinators. And uh, they're very popular in, in greenhouse tomatoes and, and blueberries and certain crops. Of course, honeybees are used, I think, on almost a third of all of the, the crops that we eat mm-hmm. have some kind of artificial pollination. And it's good to see that there's a good awareness of the importance of pollinators. For, I have a friend that's an onion developer, and they use fl- oh, nice. and they use flies in their greenhouses for pollinating. Oh, what kind of flies? Good question. I should call him up and ask him. I have no idea. I was like, those are <laughs> those are flies. He goes, yeah, we just use flies, and they're and he said that they're a great pollinator in here because they don't live long. They do their job over and out. So after that conversation, I did. I reached out to my buddy Jose with Taki Seed, big seed folks there, and I said, Jose, didn't you guys use flies as pollinators in your greenhouse? And he wrote me back. He said, Yeah. In fact, I'm looking at the text right now on my phone. He said, Yep, it's true. And he said, They're fishing flies. True story. He said a company in Idaho that sells these flies for fishing, that's where they're getting their flies. Pretty cool. He said it works incredibly. They're doing it on onions and broccoli. Very creative. It's been interesting, Mark. Just people have obviously been fascinated by insects for, for many years. But as a kid, I, I, I never really thought it would be a, a career or you could you know, make a living from studying insects. But of course, so many of the pests that we have are insects and, and mites. And, uh, you know, they, they've been here a long time. And, yeah. and despite our best efforts, they're still here. Uh, <laughs> it's very rare away. that we eradicate them. And we, we've been successful in some cases of eradicating screwworm, for example, at least locally. But you know, in general, the, the bugs that we have are still here and uh, we just get new ones as well. Like I said, many of the pests that we have are, are not native. They're being spread around or, or they become what we call a global pest and um, they can cause a lot, a lot of damage. So, so it's, it's like you mentioned earlier, having as many tools to target them as possible is, is a good thing. 
I should point out, or I'll get in trouble, that um, <laughs> it, it is heavily, <laughs> it is a regulated industry. It's the biocontrol industry that uses, you know, what we call macrobials or the, or the beneficials that you can see, it, it's regulated, right? So you can't just find something and just go shipping it off to different countries. It, 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 everything has to be permitted and checked and regulated. And although, you know, not everybody's always on board, for the most part, I think it's a very safe industry that tries to be responsible and responsive. So if you were at all curious about Stephen and BioB, you can go to BioB.com and see the whole thing there. But if you're interested in the U.S. part of this, which is really cool, just Google BioB USA. So it's B-I-O-B-E-E USA. Their page will come right up there. And of course, you can find all the stuff they're doing in the U.S. as well as Stephen's contact. You can also find them on LinkedIn. You can find them everywhere. It's BioB. Come on. They're everywhere. I think we're going to see a lot more interest in, in the coming years in biocontrol, not just with the insects, but with the pesticides that are derived from biological organisms. Well, let me give you a story. Sure, I love it. I love it. When I was young, as a, as a, a grad student, um, I studied uh, locusts in, in Africa. Okay. And you know, as you know, locusts can develop these huge populations and they, they can swarm. And in some cases, you know, they can threaten the food security of, of small communities and they can be a real international bane because they travel across international borders. And then well, whose job is it to control them? Because you've got different governments on different sides. And so they, they're they're a real difficult kind of pest to control. For many years, they were sprayed with quite old-style pesticides, you know, like deodorin and then more recently malathion and things like this. And, you know, it would kill the locusts, but it, would also, it wouldn't be very environmentally friendly. And, and, of course, it would be expensive. And so when I was a grad student, I had the chance to work on a project where we were developing a, a, a biological insecticide. So instead of containing a chemical, it contained a fungus, a naturally occurring fungus that kills these particular types of locusts. Mm -hmm. And so my job was to go into the desert and try to find these, these, these locust bands and, and, and follow the, the, the being treated with the fungus and see whether they died. And uh, so we had to hire local scouts to follow these things around the desert because it would take often days to die and try to figure out what happened to them. And that was, that was my introduction to, to biological pesticides. It's like, wow, you know, we can actually develop a pesticide that contains a fungus rather than a chemical and maybe use it in some of these, these harsh conditions where you don't have much water to spray. And so ever since that time, um, I've been fascinated by the industry has just developed so rapidly with different types of bacteria and viruses and protozoa and other things. And the range of, of what we call biopesticides has increased so so rapidly. And, and it's been very interesting to see them becoming registered. But I think it complements all of the tools above, the beneficial insects, the, the biological pesticides, the botanical pesticides. All of these things together can, can often do the job that in the past we had to use more toxic materials for. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved, no duplication or redistribution without permission.